Welcome to the Modern Ministry Podcast, where we discuss key issues in contemporary ministry. The Modern Ministry Podcast is a weekly podcast brought to you by the John W. Rawlings School of Divinity, and I'm your host, Jack Carson. In today's episode, we have Dr. Melody Harper explaining how the gospel speaks not only to our innocence and guilt, but also to our honor and shame. Well, Melody, welcome back. Uh, Thank thanks once again for spending some time with us and uh, investing in our listeners, as well as uh, your continued leadership here at the, at the School of Divinity and, and really pushing us in, in ways uh, to understand the gospel and in, in how it impacts the globe uh, and for us to broaden how we understand what that really looks like. Um, you know, we, we were having a discussion prior, and, and in that discussion we were talking through uh, how honor and shame cultures are often... Um, uh, completely opposed to, to a more, I use the term Western mindset, although I don't even like that term anymore right. because it's broader than that. Yeah. Uh, it's more of a, you know, a developed nation concept of, of guilt and innocence mm-hmm. when it comes to our walk with Christ and really just the, the struggle with sin and forgiveness and, and the gospel itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in some of those, uh, you know, we, we often uh, are quick to preach the guilt because mm-hmm. of that in, in, yeah. in various cultures. Yeah. And, we, and we veer away from the shame, you know. We don't, because shame seems to be something that encroaches on my individual identity. It's my personal space. You mentioned that even before, that where I have this right. Um, but how have you observed in, in various cultures um, helping us grow from the guilt and innocence to understanding honor and shame is not just a description of other cultures. Right. Honor and shame actually is deeper than that. That probably is more accurately reflective of the gospel narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, again, I want to say that all cultures reflect all three responses of, to sin that we see in Genesis. Uh, and so the guilt innocence response has been highlighted and we're very familiar with that. Right. We don't want to lose that. No. We're not saying set that aside and don't acknowledge the fact that we are guilty before because a holy, righteous God. Yeah. Because we are. But we also want to recognize that as humans, we see other responses to that sin. And shame is something that we have to address. I mean, I've talked with multiple people, uh, even in our United States context, where they know intellectually that they're forgiven for their sin, but what they can't get beyond is the shame that they feel because of that. Uh, because if our understanding of the gospel is that God forgives our sin, but there's nothing to address the shame that we feel in the context of our community, the shame that we have before God, we might not be no longer guilty but we have our relationship with the Lord has been affected in that. What are some in of the, the sense um, of how do we stand before Him in the you know, right? In so that. what what are some of the yeah. observable manifestations of that, mm-hmm. of of not handling and, and really understanding the shame uh, that we can be forgiven, but what about the the, the loss of honor and and then the impending shame? So I, what are some of the manifestations we see even in, in people in our culture and then ultimately in our walk with Christ? I think when when we pray a prayer, but we don't ever seek the Lord because we know we're forgiven, but we still don't feel worthy or we don't feel like we can come into God's presence. Um, There's there's still something that is in our perception uh, between 
us being able to perceive God. Like he might be able to forgive us, but can he really accept us? Can we really come to him? Will he really call me his daughter? Am I really or valuable? am I, you know, am I am I separated? And I think as we look yeah. about even that I- am I goods and he's, yeah. he's, he'll accept me, but he's not, I'm, I'm not really as, as valuable as I could be. Right, right. And as we think about that family analogy, that's one of the things that sets apart, uh, I think an honor, shame, response to sin and a, 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 per, a lens through which we communicate the gospel. We're not saying don't address guilt, but when we think about the fact that we haven't just been forgiven by a judge, we've been adopted by a father. And in the North American context, where within the North American church right now, there's much more emphasis on the idea of adoption and that visible reflection of the gospel. But yet we only, we, we often limit our, our gospel presentations or our discussions with people to your forgiveness for your guilt, rather than the fact that you are forgiven, but you are also adopted into the family of God. Your identity is now in that. And that's not conditional. Uh, and so regardless of what you have done before, you now have the identity as a son or daughter. Um, you know, as we because look at- Because your value then is, 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 is defined right. in Christ. Yeah. You we know, look at passages like- imputed righteousness in Him. Yeah. Galatians 3, 28 and 29, you know, where there's, there's neither slave nor Greek, Jew nor free, male nor female. If you're in Christ, you're one. And if you are in Christ, you are heirs of the promise. Uh, what promise are we talk? The prom. Your heirs. You're not just. You're not just forgiven. You are a an heir in the family of God. Your identity has been changed in that. And that restoration of honor, despite our sin, is something that um, I, I don't think we talk about as much. I think we're still longing for it. But then when we look at cultures uh, where honor and shame is the primary motivator and is the primary response, that restoration of honor is important. Um, the prodigal son story is a good example of that. Even thinking in that, we often title that story in Scripture, the prodigal, the prodigal son. son. But it's really um, the in many other of the prodigal son. in many other parts of the world, that story is titled the forgiving father, because the emphasis is not on the son's behavior. The emphasis is on the father who restores his honor and accepts him back. Uh, when I hear that that passage. Um, taught or preached in our North American context, um, I often hear the focus on the bad decisions that the son made, the way he squandered his wealth, he lived immorally. Uh, when you hear that, that passage taught in an honor-shame context, uh, the, the major thing, the major problem, the major sin there uh, wasn't his immoral living. It was the fact that he dishonored his father by asking for his inheritance before his father died. In effect saying, I don't care about you as my father, as my, as my community, as my identity. I don't want to represent you. I just you. want your money. I'm not worried about uh, the name. That is the right. ultimate in that context, the ultimate sign of dishonor. And yet, what's the father's response? When the son comes back, he throws open his arms, he welcomes him back, uh, he throws a banquet, and in an honor-shame context, um, where oftentimes saving face is important, and you don't want to add shame, instead of publicly addressing it, he throws a feast. Right. And oftentimes a meal is a sign of restoration of that honor uh, when someone has wronged you. I love that. So. I love that 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 parable that that Jesus gave us there. And in the part that it seems to be even more powerful in that is how the father was looking for him. Mm -hmm. And it tells us that when he saw him coming from afar off, mm -hmm. in other words, you know, I, I, in my front door of my house, when I walk by my front door, there are times when I'm not really, I'm not looking for anybody, mm -hmm. but I'll stop. And I have two windows, two long, thin windows on either side of the door. And I'll just, I'll kind of peek outside and see what's going on. Uh, but when we do have guests coming, mm -hmm. uh, I will often walk by and look and just see if I see the headlights coming up the road. 
uh, if it's one of my daughters coming home, I kind of look around and see, are they coming? And uh, I, I don't even have any grand plans to throw a party, mm -hmm. but there's, there's a fatherly longing yeah. to, to connect with his children. Yeah. And that's one of the, the powerful elements of that, that story. And, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that's interesting is oftentimes we, we, we miss the opportunity to connect uh, just the expression of the, human, of, of the human existence and the human heart as God has created us in those processes of understanding honor and shame but even more so, making that connection ultimately to the gospel. And, and, and as we've said before, the School of Divinity, our purpose is to come alongside the local church in its quest to fulfill the Great Commission. And so in, in pointing us that direction, all of these things, the shame that, that, that just compounds on us, we, I think we see it demonstrated as, as many people struggle with, with uh, just a, a pervasive uh, uh, epidemic of depression uh, because of certain situations they found they found uh, forgiveness from yeah. in the guilt innocence equation, yeah. but they've never been freed from the shame, and they've they continue to sh just shoulder that. And what we see in that story is, there is no shame. Yeah. There's no shame here. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you're you're a child of the King. You're you're the Father has restored you, yeah. uh, and celebrated you. And I think it's uh, it's important for us to see that. What are some ways maybe that that you've seen, you know, how churches around the world and and maybe that have have. That are really reflective of what an honor shame culture looks like, really express the the gospel. Yeah, um, I want to answer that, but I also want to point out something to yeah, connect please. back into what you were saying about right. depression in our context now. You know, absolutely, there is the element of oftentimes um, that re that may result from decisions that we have made. Uh, and we may have experienced forgiveness from that, and right. we need to know that the, that the gospel also covers our shame in that. Yes. But I also meet many people who are struggling with shame, not because of sinful decisions they have made, mm -hmm. but because of sinful decisions others have made, and they have That's experienced the consequences of because that. Because of the communal impact. Absolutely. And so in that situation, we often don't have an answer from the gospel for them because we're not, they didn't do anything wrong. Right. But the gospel speaks to and restores the shame that they have experienced as a result of sin done by others and decisions made by others. Uh, it, it's, it's powerful in that way, and yet we often don't recognize that as we are seeking to minister to and encourage one another that the gospel covers our shame, and there's a variety of sources of that shame. Absolutely. Um, so being able to uh, recognize that holistic nature of the gospel as we are working with people in that context um, and then as we think about what that looks like globally, uh, in collective cultural context, uh, I think they have a better understanding of community than we do in our individualistic context. It's just, it's built into their culture, not just their expression of faith. And I think we often struggle with that in our North American context where we have a more individualistic expression of that. As I've seen churches around the world um, embrace this, you know, I think of, of a house church in East Asia that I am familiar with and where they have embraced women who have been rescued from trafficking uh, or who've come out of prostitution. Maybe they weren't there as a result of trafficking. It was a choice that they made out of desperation in their circumstances, but the way that the church embraces them in uh, and their, their identity in the community, their honor is now found in being part of the community of believers in that context and welcoming people and responding to people, not as a 
good to see you on Sunday, how are you, with a quick answer of how our week was. But really looking at what the church looks like in, in Acts, as we see the early church meeting together regularly, sharing meals together, sharing what they have with each other. Right. And the that community. expression right. of community aspect, as we think about restoring honor, it's not just a, I'll pray for you. Right. It's I'm treating you and embracing you as part of the community because you, your honor is in your identity in the Lord. Uh, and helping to to embrace people and respond to people in that way as a practical, visible, visible expression to those believers in our community, and then to think about what is the witness to those outside of the church right. when they see the power of the gospel changing the way we interact with each other and changing the way that people are restored into community right. after brokenness. Well, I was getting ready to, you know, as we, as we wrap up our time here, I was getting ready to ask you that question is is for the church, for the believer, what what do we do? And you just described it. Uh, that in that in that context, it's it's our it's how we how we engage with each other and understand the, the community of believers and, and what it demonstrates for the sake of the gospel in that context. If I can add one more thing, I think it's also in reminding each other of that. When we have a guilt innocence worldview of the gospel where if I've been forgiven, then it doesn't really enter it doesn't really affect my daily living in the gospel. Um, when we as believers are reminding each other of the power of the gospel, we're reminding each other of the truth of the gospel, not just the fact that we're forgiven, but that we are part of God's family, that we are sons and daughters of the King. When we are reminding each other of that on a daily basis, it changes the way that we, that we view and we respond to the brokenness around us. We still live in the context of a fallen world after Genesis 3. God has not yet fully restored uh, fully restored things, but we have hope in the midst of that. And the gospel is not just a prayer that we pray and then we put it away until we stand before God on judgment day. Right. It is the power that is ours to respond and live and be his witnesses and ambassadors in this broken world. And it's almost a forgotten or neglected aspect of our story, our rescue story. And I think that honor, shame, peace helps us to bring that back in in our daily interactions, in our daily admonishments and encouragements to one another within the church. And then we think about the tool that that is as we share his light uh, with the world around us. That's very good. Wow, it's so powerful. And I, I hope that this has been encouraging for our listeners. Thank you mm -hmm. for the time. Thank you. To, in this session. I, th I know it's been encouraging to me. And, uh, and that those who listen will find great, great encouragement, and hopefully not just encouragement, but inspiration to, to move forward and live this out. Absolutely. Uh, in ways that are so profound, but even more powerful for the sake of the gospel. So thank you. Thank you. All righty. You just listened to the Modern Ministry Podcast put on by the John W. Rawlings School of Divinity at Liberty University. Please reach out to us at www.liberty.edu forward slash divinity if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, and let us know if there's a pressing issue in your ministry that we should address in this podcast.